Well, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 6. I'm basically trying to take one chapter a week on this, and uh, it's not to labor it. I know, realize there'll be some places where perhaps we may take uh, less, because I know we'll have some names that we'll be calling out here pretty soon. And so we won't spend as much time as with that, and then there'll be some days, perhaps Lord's days, where we may spend a little bit longer. But in the main, I want to spend about a week a chapter, and not that I think it's unimportant, but again, that's not the uh, purpose of our Bible study time that we have before us. I spend most of that on either the morning or the evening services. Well, this morning, though, we are going to try to look at all 27 verses. At least we'll read them, comment on them briefly, and then give the application to this. Now, this chapter sets forth very plainly at least four biblical principles that I think you'll see throughout uh, if you keep these in mind as we're reading through this. First one is this. Our ways are not God's ways, or God's ways are not our ways. Either way you want to put it, this is what you're going to see in this particular chapter. We'll see things done that you would think, well, I wouldn't have done it that way. Well, that's exactly it. You did not do it that way. It was the Lord's wisdom in all of this. And sometimes we have to scratch our heads at times and wonder about the good providence of God. And yet we know that He does everything right. Secondly, He does everything in all wisdom. There's no mistakes. He doesn't sit there and scratch His head wondering what's going on. He has everything under control. Everything in reality is part of His decree. Nothing takes place without. So, our ways are not His ways. You'll see that in this chapter. Secondly, from the words uh, found in Zechariah 4, 6, Not by might nor by power, but my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. We'll see here the, uh, the reality that it's not the power of man that accomplishes what we see taking place in this chapter, but in reality it's the Lord. The third thing is that obedience is better than sacrifice. This is, uh, I think, a very basic, all of these are really, but this is a very basic truth in our walk before the Lord, that obedience is better than sacrifice. And uh, once we learn that, we'll be able to walk by faith, we'll be able to just to do what we're commanded to do, whether we understand the circumstances or whether we think we have more wisdom in regards to the circumstance than what we think the Word of God may be able to give us. So when we get that principle under our belt, we'll understand and be better obedient in these things. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Fourthly, faith. Obviously, uh, one of the major uh, foundational truths in the life of a believer is faith. Obviously, he's a believer. And so he walks by faith. And as the two principal uh, passages in the book of Hebrews dealing with this chapter... We read, for instance, in Hebrews 11.30, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. We see the means by which God accomplished that with his people was by faith. That is, they, it wasn't their faith that knocked them down, but it was in the sense that they were doing what they were told to do. They marched around the city, they shouted when they were told to do so, and thus this took place. And then the second reality is by faith again. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Here we see the actual fulfillment then of that. We saw a couple of chapters ago where the, the, uh, the spies actually showed up at Rahab's house and she deals with them in a faithful manner. Well, now we see the fact that they keep their promise to Rahab and obviously Rahab keeps hers as far as leaving the court out. And they're able to determine this is her house 
and her house apparently still stood as while the rest of the walls did fall down. So we see something of a miracle there and a miracle in which obviously Rahab trust was going to take place. So these are the four things that we'll be able to see as we progress through this chapter. So keep those in mind because we won't be bringing them up every time. And so if uh, we'd never get through the chapter if we did so. So let's look, first of all, the first five verses, that is verses one through five. And we see here that the Lord gives Joshua, and I call it here, the war plans. Joshua gets the war plans from the Lord. Uh, now, Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. Okay, we see here then that Joshua receives this information how that the, pat, the battle is to go forth. Now, you may wonder, is this a continuation of verses 14 and 15? Remember back in the last chapter, Joshua sees the captain, that is the Lord of hosts. He sees the Lord himself, at least that's what I think it is. And we wonder then in chapter 6, is this the continuation of it? I believe it is. Now, the those who don't like chapter divisions, they have a heyday with this particular passage because they say, well, look, see, that's an unnatural place to put a chapter break. Well, uh, it just goes to show something of their ignorance. Also, verse 1 would be a very big uh, description as far as putting it there because you notice it says, And the captain of the Lord's host, verse 15, said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place wherein thou, or whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. And then we see verse 1. Now Jericho was straightly shut up. As if, where did that come from? Well, again, it's probably just a parenthesis as it's still describing what's going on. But again, it's either you deal with holy writ in the sense that this is in the Hebrew text, or you just get satisfied exactly where we see the chapter breaks. You have trouble either way with that. So I would keep our tongues when it comes to some of the layout of our Bibles. Because in reality, I think they did a very good job. And there's nothing wrong with what's going on here. So, though we may complain about the chapter breaks, you still have verse 1 to contend with, don't you? So, uh, until you have some wisdom there, I would be a little less quiet on some of that. The reason I say that is because almost every commentator I checked had some gripe about where the authorized version, and other versions, by the way, other English versions, even before the authorized version, put, chapter, put the heading chapter 6 there. But again, verse 1 still shows it. Now, it may not have anything to do with the latter part of that chapter. And again, that would be fine. But it seems this is what the captain of the, salva- uh, captain of the host of the Lord was telling Joshua at that point. If it's not, I don't have a problem with that either. It just seems like that's what he's talking about here. Um, but the main point, though, is from verses 2 through 5. And we see here the words spoken, again, I think, seem to be what 
Joshua was hearing or was going to hear after verse 15. But what he does see here or what we do see here is that there is to be the plan on how Joshua, with God's help, in fact, with God doing it, is to take the city of Jericho. You notice in verse 1, he says that Jericho is shut up. Uh, that means it's closed up. And you notice here what he means by that. None can go out and none can come in. Now, it's shut up either. Now, notice in verse 1, 2, it says there, because of the children of Israel, either because they were physically keeping people in and out, that is, they were setting up their guard in order to do so, or it was the fact that the city noticed that big crowd of, uh, of armies sitting out there, and what do we do? Well, we better not go out because we could be captured or hurt. You remember back in chapter 5 and verse uh, 1, at the latter part there, that everyone was scared. Their heart melted, neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. So it could have been they were behind the walls just simply hiding and afraid to come out. And, of course, anybody out in the field would be afraid because, again, the, that, that curse in reality was upon them. Either way, though, fact of the matter is no one was coming in and no one was going out. If it was because they were having a defense themselves, that is the city, it shows us here something, and obviously they were making some kind of preparations, I would think. Anybody who was a ruler would have that kind of concern. But it does show us here, if that's the case, how vain it is to think that the arm of the flesh can stay the wrath and the vengeance of God. Do they really believe that if God is with Israel that they're going to have any hope here? Well, of course not. And uh, there's some application to that, to think that you know, man in the last day is going to find refuge in something he can do or will do. In reality, it's just not going to be so. But also notice verse 2 here. It's clearly seen from this that he's already given them the city. Notice in verse 2. The Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. So he's instructing and encouraging Joshua here, look, it's already done as far as this goes. I have given you the city. That's a, a past tense. I have given. It's yours. Now go in and take it. And so that's what they're to do. And he tells us now from verses 3 through 5 how they are to take the city. And we won't go over that again, but they're to go around the city once and then march around it again seven times and on the seventh day, so forth, and then uh, they're to take it. Now, you'll notice there's no reason given here why God has done it this way or decided to do it this way. Now, we can say, based on other scriptures, that is, by analogy of faith, we know that, one, it would glorify His name here. So that's why He did it that way. Secondly, we would say as well from other scriptures, this would be a trial and a test to the faith and the obedience of his people. What? Go around the city this many times and that's going to make us take it? All that does is set us out in the open for people to see what we have. It would give away our uh, defense. It would give away our offense. So, why do that? Well, here was a test to the people of God. Are you going to obey what I say to do? Remember we said earlier, one of the principles here is to do what? Sac uh, obedience is better than sacrifice, even when it may not make any sense to us whatsoever. And this is where it really, we would say, the rubber hits the road, doesn't it, in our Christian walk. 
We have to obey despite what we might think. Trust the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy path is the idea that we're to live by. And so while this may sound foolish to the people of God, they were to, by faith, do this and be obedient. And the third thing we could say here, uh, we know from other scriptures and doing it this way, this would certainly give the enemies of God a self-confidence, wouldn't it? Look at those fools out there. Well, maybe it's not going to be as bad as we thought. I, you know, and so it gives them a vain confidence, doesn't it? Well, everything may be well. Well, we know that it wasn't. Well, that's the war plan. And by the way, do you know, and we were reading last night in our Bible reading, and I, uh, I couldn't find it when I was actually studying. I didn't have my uh, computer up. But um, when I was drawing down my notes. But, you know, he's called, God is, a man of war. Did you know that from Scripture? I think it's the whatever chapter reading we were looking at last night. Let me quickly go there. It was chapter 15. Yes, in the Song of Moses. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Well, when we think of it that way, and the battle plan is laid out here, maybe it doesn't sound so foolish then, does it? And brethren, that's true in our Christian walk. He is the God. He is the, the man of war who directs us in our Christian battles on a daily basis. And it would be wise to do what he says. Uh, the Scripture tells us to do what? We spent many, many weeks looking at something of the, scripture, uh, the, uh, the Christian armor from chapter 6 of Ephesians. Seems maybe perhaps foolish to the world, but that's what we're to do. We're to put on the Christian armor. As silly as it may sound to us, as unwise as it may sound to us, we ought to do so just as they were. Well, moving on quickly, from verses 6 and 7, we see that Joshua obeys and he directs the people in this. And Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said unto them, Take uh, up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said unto the people, Pass on and, the, and compass the city and let him that is armed pass on before the ark of the Lord. So we see that Joshua obeys and uh, you notice here it's a simple and it's an immediate obedience that Joshua gives the Lord here. He doesn't go in and discuss things with his war council. He actually obeys what God has said. There's no questioning here. At least we can see from the account any kind of questioning of the wisdom of God in this matter. He simply, by faith, obeys what he's told. Uh, obedience is better than sacrifice. And then in verses 8 and 9, we see actually here the obedience of the people. And it came to pass when Joshua had heard... a spoken unto the people, that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpet, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priest that blew with the trumpet, and the rearward uh, came after the ark, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And so we see that again. Now we see not only the leader obeying, which was a good example to the people, and so the people now obey. I think there's a bit of an application there, and there are those who are leaders over God's people. And I say that in the New Testament sense, also in the New Old Testament sense. Then our obedience certainly becomes a very good example unto others, doesn't it? 
And uh, one of the things we're learning in our class on Saturday as we're watching Pastor Martin talk about pastoral theology is the fact that you cannot separate the man from the ministry. And so if we are obedient, it does encourage the people of God to be obedient in the things of the Lord. And we see that here in verses 8 and 9. And then in verses 10, uh, we see that Joshua commands... now. I don't think he's commanding anything extra. I just think it was something that God had already told him. It just wasn't revealed. And Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout. Then shall, then shall ye shout. So we see that the Lord, uh, or Joshua here, directs them some further information. And notice they're to be quiet. Uh, I wonder what went through the ranks when he gave that one. Uh, you know, well, who's he to tell me what to do? Who's he to tell me to be quiet in the ranks? Uh, again, brethren, what do we see here? We see leaders entrusted with a job to do and giving instructions and giving, as it were, commands and seeking to get the folks to obey. And there was to be no questioning about this. There was to be obedience here. And again, I'm not saying that anybody today under the New Covenant, as they take on the position of leaders, are infallible, that they receive any kind of direct word from God. We're not saying that at all, nor do I believe that. But there still is, in a general sense, the idea there's to be obedience from the people of God, from their leaders. And it's sad that I have to dance around folks because they won't obey. And it's... It's, it's disheartening to me, it's disheartening to others, and it is a bad example. So when we're told things, it's best to do them. Whether, you under, you know, whether they understood that they should have kept their mouth closed or not had nothing to do with the situation, did it? They were to be obedient. And parents, how happy would we be if we gave our directions to our children and they lovingly and quietly obeyed? Or husbands, we tell our wives something and that's not sinful, and they lovingly and quietly obey. Or employers, wouldn't it be great? You got your employees to work without having to give them a whole bunch of psychological tricks to make them do so? Well, that's kind of what we have to do today, isn't it? Well, again, brethren, look at the, the obedience here. Again, one of the principles, obedience is better than sacrifice. And then verses 11 through 14, we see some further, I call this, further developments. 11 through 14. So the ark of the Lord compassed the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose up early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually, and blew with the trumpets, and the armed men went before them. But the rearward... Came, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it sounds good to me. Came after the ark of the Lord, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And the second day they compassed the city once and returned into the camp. So they did six days. So we see here that the ark circles once and then it goes and is in camps. Again, remember the ark was the, uh, the type or the reality for this, this is concerned, of the very presence of God. And so they were reminding the city and themselves that God here was in the midst. And uh, he, they took this around the city. They were able to see it, both the people and probably those on the wall. And again, it was a sign to them that who's in control here? The Lord. 
And then, of course, the Lord uh, is encamped then and through the ark at the city in, in their camp. And uh, the city, again, must have watched and they must have wondered, again, giving them, no doubt, something of a carnal security here. What are they doing carrying that box? How silly. Well, notice verse 15 and 16. We see something of the last day. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city about the same manner seven times. Only that that day they compassed the city seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priest blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. Again, we see here the fact that uh, they were to do something differently on the last day. On the last day, where they were to march around the city seven times, and then they were to shout. And this, again, is that part of that fulfillment of Hebrews 11.30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. Here again, the people believing the promise and the word of God at this point. And then verses 17 through 19, we see uh, another fulfillment that we see spoken of in the book of Hebrews is the deliverance of Rahab. And also, though, a warning to the people is given. Notice again, 17 through 19. And the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein, to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. Notice the we there. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the cursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. And so we see here the deliverance of Ahab. She is, or at least they're told to do that and she's to be taken care of. The reason why? It says there, because she hid the spies. They're keeping here their word. How important that would have been to the life of Rahab, wouldn't it? They didn't take their vow that they said or their word to her in any kind of a shabby way, did they? They meant what they said and they were going to fulfill that. We need to see something then of the importance of our words. By them we will be justified, the scripture says, or we will be condemned. So our words are important. So we need to be careful with our speech, govern our tongue, and do what we'll say we'll do, as long as it's in accordance with the Word of God. Notice something else here. Uh, the rulers are going to be taken. All of that's going to be taken care of. And also then, they're warned in this, ver- this passage about keeping themselves from the accursed thing. You say, well, what is that accursed thing? We'll find out in chapter uh, 7, or uh, chapter 7 or chapter 8. Chapter 7, yes. That uh, it was a Babylonian garment and some uh, a gold. Well, the point of it is, in verse 18 and 19, what it is is all that God had said was to go into the treasury. It became an accursed thing when the people, or whoever it was going to, who would covet after it. Now, it's true, an accursed thing could also be an idol. As we read in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, they were not to take the people's idols and bring them home and put them in their home. In fact, they were to destroy them. In fact, if there was any idols at this point, they were to be destroyed. If they were made of gold, the gold was to be burnt in uh, the fire and so forth. Uh, but here, the accursed thing would be 
that which God said not to do. In other words, you're not to take the gold and the silver and keep it for yourself. You're to take it and put it into the treasury. And, of course, we know here that there'll be Achan who will not follow that. But here they are warned very specifically not to do so because it will become a curse to Israel. And it did, didn't it? So we see a little bit of a foretaste here of chapter 7 coming in. And then notice verses 20 through 25. It says here, So the people shouted when the priests blew the trump with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox, and sheep, and ass, with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and bring out thence the woman, and all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in, and brought out Rahab, and her father, and her mother, and her brethren, and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred, and left them without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire, and all that was therein, only the silver, and the gold, and the vessels of brass, and of iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua saved Rahab the heart of alive, and her father's household, and all that she had. And she dwelled in Israel even unto this day, because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So in this section, very quickly, we see that the city is taken, and of course Rahab is saved. And then lastly, verses 26 through 27, we see the curse that Joshua pronounces. And Joshua drew them at that same time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that rises up and buildeth this city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. Not too sure what verse 26 means, so we'll just drop that. Well, let me give some application to this very quickly. Again, uh, we need to realize that our faith is going to be tested by our obedience. And again, we all make the excuses, well, I'm in a trial. This is the time that I can take my ease and God's going to understand that things are not going well with me so I don't have to be quite as obedient. But that's just the very opposite in reality. The times of trial are the times of the testing of our faith and what is being tested is not only our faith but the works that will be evidenced by Faith, which, of course, is our obedience. So, again, brethren, be faithful in the midst of all these things. Easy to say. I understand that. And hard to work out. But, you know what? That's part of the trial. It's not meant to be easy. It's never promised to be easy. So, there you have it. Secondly, our chapter demonstrates the truth of Psalm 127, verse 1. Except the Lord build the house... They labor in vain that build it, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. They may have been on the wall, they may not have they may have had a game plan in their own, but when the Lord decided to work, it would make little difference, did it? So brethren, we can take this as a nation, we can take this as a city, a state, and as a church. Unless the Lord is in it, it won't make any difference. We could have the biggest guns in all the world, but God could cause a small nation to cripple us. 
very easily. Will he do it? I'm not a prophet, so I'm not even going to guess. All I know is that it can be done. Thirdly, we saw the whole city was destroyed. Certainly, that's a type of the coming judgment of, of God upon the whole world. And we see the deliverance of Ahab, Rahab, I want to keep wanting to say Ahab, but a deliverance of Rahab and her family out of that destruction. And that's a reality here of the distinguishing and sovereign grace of God to sinners. The whole city perished, but Rahab's family. I don't know how many were in the city, but every, notice, you notice back there in uh, verse, uh, uh, I think it's verse, oh, where's it at? I missed it. Well, I was telling where he, oh, there he is, verse 21, sorry. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old. Now, I realize the liberals may have a fit with that, but uh, God is just in all that he does. This was the judgment that was falling upon these nations because of their wickedness. And, uh, but God, though, delivers sovereignly. Rahab and her family out of the midst of that. And again, that brings us to that New Testament truth. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that is our only refuge, isn't it? And sinner, that is your only refuge, Christ and Christ alone.